read an article last night about a man whose name was Guy Waterman. It was a cold February morning. It was Sunday morning. He was an avid hiker, written books on hiking, outdoors material. He was an avid hiker, focused his life, hiking various mountains all over the country. But he lived in Vermont and focused most of his hiking in that area. But this particular morning, he packed a small backpack. He knew what he needed on most hikes, but today he put in a tin of anchovies and a can opener open it with. And into his backpack went two bottles of water and two flashlights, two clocks, and two stuffed bears. As he's walking out the door, he turned and told his wife, I have an appointment with Mount Lafayette. I will arrive at the top of Mount Lafayette right at 5 o'clock. And if it's not cold enough, I may be back. He turned, walked through the snow, got into his Subaru and drove the back roads, drove Route 5 to Wells River, Vermont, and then crossed the New Hampshire state line, then turned south into the Franconia Notch. Parked his Subaru at a well-known trailhead called the Old Bridal Path. He had climbed that mountain from that path hundreds of times. He knew his way. He didn't have adequate clothing. He had a thin layer of wool, wool shirt, and he had nylon jacket, and that was it. Because of his outdoor experience, he was very aware of the weather. He listened to the weather reports on a regular basis. And it was forecast that tonight it was going to be 16 below zero. And that the winds would be over 70 miles an hour. Guy Waterman knew all of that. He made his way up, up the mountainside. When he got to the top of the mountain, he had a, an ice axe that had belonged to his father, and he drove the ice axe into the snow and laid down on a shelf, a ledge that exposed him to everything that the weather had to offer that night. He fully intended to die. He had an appointment, he said, with Mount Lafayette. When the body temperature drops to below 95, we begin to involuntarily shiver, and shake uncontrollably. Then when the body temperature drops below 93, the shivering stops. Drowsiness, drowsiness sets in. Feeling of apathy and 
the blood begins to rush to the organs to try to preserve the organs until warmth can be found for the rest of the body. When the body temperature drops below 90, the heart begins to balk. The breathing becomes shallow. Your eyes dilate, and you simply quietly die. Guy Waterman had made an appointment with despair. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen that evening. He was an intelligent man. He had written speeches for two presidents. He had written four books. He was a respected educator. He was an avid outdoorsman. But his life had not turned out like he had hoped. The two stuffed bears more than likely represented the two boys that he had had that had died prematurely to accidents. And his books weren't selling like he had hoped. His past was pretty painful. He didn't see a whole lot of meaning to the present and his future. He was getting up older in years, and he just couldn't see himself getting old. And he explained all that to the people that was close to him. He didn't see much hope for the future. It just it looked all like despair. And so he chose to die on Mount Lafayette that evening. In the Bible, there is a pool that is mentioned. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda sounds picturesque, but the Bible also mentions that it was near the sheep market. Well, sheep were noisy, and sheep stink, and sheep are dumb. If you've had any opportunity to be around them, you're not impressed with their intelligence. And it makes you concerned when you find and realize that God likens us to sheep. It's just not a real good description. It's not one you would aspire to. But at the pool of Bethesda, on that particular day, there was a multitude. That was the word that the Bible uses, a multitude. There are five porches around that pool, and a multitude sat and lay on those porches because once a year an angel would trouble the waters and whoever was the first into the water when it was troubled, the first one in was healed of whatever disease they had. There was one particular man that day at the pool of Bethesda. He had been sick for 38 years. He had been to the pool before, and when he was questioned about his situation, he could easily explain, whenever the water is troubled, I will try to get to the water, but someone will beat me to it. Coming to the pool appears to be futile. It appears to be pointless for him to even come because he knows what's going to happen. He's going to see the water troubled. He's going to try to get in. Somebody else is more ambulatory will be able to get in first, and no one is going to help him. But he came anyway. He didn't expect help from others. He didn't expect healing. He just evidently came to watch. 
came possibly to remind himself of how desperate his situation was, how permanent his situation was. He's sitting there at the pool watching the water and out of the, his periphery he sees a man walk up to him and stand beside him. He learned that it was Jesus. This man had come to a place of despair. He had come to a place where hope didn't exist for him. Someone was going to get in the pool, but he had seen it happen too many times. He knew it wasn't going to be him. But Jesus came to the pool of despair also. He showed up and walked around the people, that the multitude of people, walked through them, over them, and he stood beside this one sick man, this one man with no hope, this man, this one man with no future. And like Guy Waterman, he, his past was painful and, and there was no future for him. He saw no hope, but Jesus came straight to that man. The one with no hope, the one who had made an appointment with a despair situation. And Jesus came to that place of despair to change his future. We don't know the name of the man that lived in Gadara. We don't know how old he was whenever he allowed demonic spirits to take control over him. Was he young? Was he abused? Was he rejected by his peers? How long had he been possessed with demons? We don't know any of those answers, but we can be sure that his past was pretty painful. And we know that his present was full of rejection because the Bible stated that he had been captured and they had chained him up and he had broken the chains and he lived in the tombs away from everyone else. And nobody wanted him. Nobody desired to be with him. And whenever Jesus' boat came off of the water and growled up onto the shore, and Jesus stepped out. That man ran to where Jesus was for the first time in his life. Why he or how he recognized that Jesus represented hope to him, I don't know. But the Bible says he ran to him and fell on his knees. And the demons that was in him begged Jesus to leave them alone. They had him right where they wanted. They, they had him where he was in a hopeless situation. But Jesus cast them out and gave him a sound mind and gave him the ability to live a good and normal life from that time forward. He came to that man in his place of despair, made an appointment with that man, and changed his future. There was a, another man, we don't know his name. We do know he was a thief. We do know he was captured and he was dying for his crime. They had him hanging on a cross. He had lost a lot of blood. He had lost a lot of strength. He was beginning to lose focus. He wasn't coming down off of that cross. He was going to die on that cross. He was not going to go home. It was there that he met Jesus.
Jesus was also hanging on a cross, but it wasn't the end for him. We find a report of that in Hebrews 12 and 2. It says, because of the joy that was set before Jesus, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. Jesus had something on the other side of the cross. There was a tomorrow on the other side of the cross. The cross did not represent the end for him. He had a future, and Jesus invited that thief to join him in his future. And he just simply told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. He went from hopelessness to heaven. He went from despair to glory. All because he encountered Jesus Christ at a time and a place where nobody gave him any hope at all. Nobody even wanted him to have hope. And it was there that he met Jesus and it changed everything. Jacob, he was a scrapper. Jacob intended to succeed. He had gotten the birthright from his brother. That guaranteed that he would be able to inherit the majority of his father's goods. And his father was a wealthy man. Then he was able to get a hold of and gain the blessings so that he would also not only be wealthy and get the, the wealth of his father, but he would have the blessings of God on his life, the anointing of God on his life. He was on his way. And then he learned that his brother intended to kill him. He had to run. He had to run away from the inheritance. He had to run away from all that, being there in that secure place represented he had to run. He was running to an uncle he had never met. He was running to go be with an uncle he had never seen. He didn't know what kind of response and, or what kind of acceptance he would get when he got there. And he had to go through a lot of wilderness to get from home to there. And he's out in the middle of nowhere. It was not a time of GPS. It was not a time of cell phones. He was alone. And finally, exhausted, he lay on the ground and put his head on a rock and fell asleep. And while he was asleep, there was a ladder that was extended straight from the throne of God. It couldn't have been an accident because there was nobody, nothing around. But the ladder was right beside this man who felt like he had lost everything. The ladder from the throne dropped down and was right beside this man that felt like that he was finished. But God was letting Jacob know, I know who you are and I know where you are. And it doesn't matter how desperate your situation is. It doesn't matter how hopeless your future appears. I want you to know I know who you are. I know where you are and I will bless your life. God knew where he was. And it could be that you've come here this morning in a desperate situation. You've come here today in a situation where it doesn't look like that there's a whole lot of hope for you. It could be that you wish your past was different. You wish that things could be done over. 
you can't go back and you can't change it. It's just disappointment and defeat. You're present. You're not sure where you're going or how you're going to go, what you're going to do in the future. Maybe you even dread that. But I just want you to know, like the man at the pool of Bethesda, he wasn't expecting anything. And you may have come here today not really expecting a whole lot. But I just want you to know Jesus is here. He's here and he's right beside you. He knows who you are. It's no accident that you're here. Jesus Christ is part of why you decided to come here. He wanted to meet you here this morning and give you a better tomorrow. He wanted to give you a better future. He may not change your past. That is what has happened. That is what has gone on. But he can forgive your past. And God will forget your past and give you a whole different future than you ever dreamed of before. All of your failure can be forgiven and forgotten. All of your sin forgiven and forgotten. Jesus specializes in making a better tomorrow for anyone who's in a desperate situation. We find Jesus saying in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, the, thief, the devil, comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life. Not just a normal life, not just the kind of life where you get up and go to work and raise kids and retire. I've come to give you an abundant life. I've come to give you a life you enjoy, a life that you have peace in, a life that you feel secure in. I've come to give you an abundant life. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if a man can get in Christ, can meet Christ, can come in contact with Christ. He is a new creature. All things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. That's what's available here this morning. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen generation. This is Peter talking about people who've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. They have become children of, of Jesus Christ and said, you're chosen generation. You're royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him. And you would think these chosen royal holy people must have been something special, but Peter didn't stop there. These people he goes on to say, we're called out of darkness into marvelous light. In times past, they were nobody. In times past, nobody cared about them. In times past, they, they were just nothing. But now they are the people of God, which had, a, had no mercy in the past. No mercy was extended to them, but now you have obtained mercy. That's the kind of people that Jesus will make you chosen. He takes people out of darkness and makes them royal. He takes some people that have lived unmerciful lives and no, no hope, no future, and he gives them special treatment. That's the kind of Jesus Christ that I'm talking to you about today. They had no future. 
Jesus gave them a better tomorrow. He gave them a brighter future. Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. What did he come to visit us to do? To give light to them that sit in darkness. To give light to them who sit in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the way of peace. That's why he came to visit this morning. To give light to those who sit in darkness. To give light to those who, who are in the shadow of death. Who feel like there's not much of a future, but that's what Jesus specializes in. Let's all stand. Amen. Amen. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know what you expected, but I do know what God's expecting. I do know what Jesus Christ plans on doing. He plans on making your life better. That's the whole purpose of being here. He made an appointment with your despair today. He came specifically to give you a better tomorrow. He came specifically to give you hope. Amen. Amen. You're not alone. Just like Jacob who felt like nobody knew who he was, nobody knew where he was, but God let him know and he lowered the ladder right there beside him. The presence of God is right beside you. He's with you. He's, God's not way up in heaven, although there's a portion of God there, but God is also right here. Skyview Road in Atlanta, Georgia. Amen. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He came to make a difference for you. Amen. Praise God.